Then I'm committed, eh? Now you're committed. I think I'm standing up here, so I am committed. Let's open a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you so much for today that you sent your son to die on the cross to set us free. Thank you for the gift of eternal life that you give us. We don't deserve it. Lord, as we come this morning, just wash out any pride from me. Let your spirit speak through me, Lord. Open our hearts and minds to receive your word. As we just pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So as I... You can blame this message if you don't like it. You can blame it on uh, Smith Wigglesworth. He's a really strong man of God. I have a devotional I do of his. And uh, he had this one devotional titled On Guard. And uh, then God also, blame it on him. Because I asked God if I could do a different message. This one's complicated. This one's on prophecy. And I thought, Lord, you know, I'm kind of a simpleton. And uh, I might not be able to get prophecy right. As a matter of fact, I was so worried about this message when I wrote it. I gave it to Jason, and I said, you really need to check this message because I don't want there to be any errors in here. This is about false prophets. And uh, to my amazement, he looked through the message and told me it was okay. So I was like, wow, thanks, God. Okay. So I am supposed to speak this. I wrestled. I tried to get out of it. And uh, he just said no. Speak this one. We're going to start this morning and uh, cross this outline up just a little bit. There's a, a little companion message, prophet, ah, scripture, that's the word, John. In Mark 13, starting with verse 5, we're going to start there this morning. So this is uh, Jesus uh, is leaving the temple. Um, one of his disciples asked him, he talks about the magnificent building. And Jesus says, I'm going to demolish all this. Not a, a stone will be left on top of another. And then the disciples come later, his inner circle, and said, how does this happen? When does this happen? So this, this message here that he gets to next is for his inner circle, the guys he spent the most time with. And they asked him for specific directions on this craziness he's talking about that they didn't really understand. Mark 13, starting with 5. Jesus replied, Don't let anyone mislead you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world, as well as famines. This is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. When these things begin to happen, watch out. Some translations say, be on guard. Watch out. And when I say watch out, can I just say watch out? You know, I think to really get an accurate picture of watch out that he's given us here, we need to think about... Uh, in Alaska, they hunt polar bears. Polar bear is one of the few mammals on the planet that will actually hunt you while you're hunting it. Okay? It'll circle back around. It'll lead you this way. Circle back around and hide out by the trail it left and wait for you. So, when 
I think about this watch out, that's the watch out I'm talking about. I'm hunting with my buddy, and my buddy says, watch out. There's a polar bear there that wants to eat me. You're being a little dramatic, John, aren't you? I don't think so. I don't think so. What's 1 Peter 5.8 say? It says, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. What does John 10.10 say? The thief comes to kill and destroy. But I come that you would have abundant life. So we're supposed to be on guard. And as I pondered and wrote and studied for this message, I asked myself, am I on guard? I got to tell you, I really didn't like the answer completely that I got. So that's the intro there. Primary text this morning is going to be back in Thessalonians chapter 2, but before we read that, I want to lay out a little bit of what's going on at the church that he's writing to in 2 Thessalonians. So this is a part of a letter that Paul wrote to that specific church. He established that church in Thessalonia, can't talk which is modern-day Greece. And I want to lay out a little bit of context. He wrote it in 51, 52 AD. He started that church on his second missionary journey. He traveled through Syria and Turkey to modern-day Greece. And uh, homework, if you want homework, when you go home, you can read Acts 17. I'm going to kind of give you a brief synopsis of what goes on in Acts 17 here. We don't have time, or I'd be an hour and a half with this message today. So Acts 17, we read a little bit about what happened when Paul went to that church in modern-day Greece. So as was his habit, he went into the synagogue and began to reason with the Jews. Uh, He would talk to them, discuss with them, and it says a large number of Greeks, um, a few Jews, and many prominent women were saved. Evidently the prominent women were a little smarter than the rest of them because they got saved. It makes a mention of that. It says not a few prominent women. However, there was another group of Jews there. They were jealous. So they went out to the marketplace, rounded up a bunch of troublemakers, and they uh, went out to look for Paul and Silas. And some translations even call this a riot. They said they instigated a riot. So they wanted to look for Paul. They couldn't find him. They went to his house with a couple, and the only person they found was Jason. Jason, they found you. Anyway, they found Jason with a couple of his brothers, rounded him up, you know, accused him falsely, made him post bond. So we're, that's where we are in this church. So that very night, Paul and Silas, they have to go to Berea. They have to leave. There's such a, there's a riot, persecution, uproar. And these Greeks that caused problems there in Thessalonica actually followed Paul to Berea. I mean, they weren't content with just running him out of Thessaloniki. That's the modern day name for it. Um, They followed him clear to Berea, 
to stir up the crowds and agitate things there. Wow, so Paul has to go to the coast from there. And now a sidebar that's cool, I like this. The Bereans were of a more noble character and accepted the teaching with great eagerness because Paul was teaching the way. And he searched the scripture, excuse me, they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. Now, if I was in children's church, I could stop right there. I mean, that's the message, right? Way to go, Bereans. They received the message with great eagerness. They went to the word, the scriptures, to see if it was true. But we're adults, so you have to suffer with me a little more. After Berea, Paul goes to Athens. He's opposed by a large group there as well. He makes it a point to tell us that these people in Athens spent most of their time telling or hearing about something that was new or the latest idea. The newest scientific discovery. They were intellectuals. And uh, it's very interesting. Once in a while I kind of listen to NPR radio. I want to hear what the enemy hope. No, I, I shouldn't say that. I want to hear what some of the other people are thinking in the world. And uh, there, that's a better way of saying it. And uh, so I heard they have Science Hour on NPR. It gives you all the newest scientific discoveries. And uh, so I think that mentality exists here in our country today, too. We think science can explain everything. We worship science, intellect, science, everything. That'll explain it. So we got that in common with what was going on there. So back to Thessaloniki, or Thessalonica, whatever we call it, uh, we can see there's two groups. One received the message. Yay, they got saved. They liked it. Another group, jealousy, opposition. They did not like it at all. Polarized groups. What does that sound like? Does that sound like a little bit like our country right now? So this was a dangerous place to teach the gospel. Divided opinions. Now we don't have people hunting us down in the country because I'm up here teaching. But I am ridiculed, you know, because I believe in the word. I've had people tell me, John, you believe in this? I'm like, yeah, I, I actually do. I, I think it says in 2 Timothy that all of this is true. It's all good. It's all useful. Yeah, that's right, Roy. Amen. It's true. But the world says I'm intolerant because I say there's only one way to heaven. I'm ignorant because I actually believe this. I'm stupid. That's what the world tells me. Nah, I don't think so. There are some ignorant people around, but they're not in this building. They're not here. Paul can't even go back to this church he started. It's so dangerous, he has to write them letters of encouragement and correction. Letters. Send the letters there to be read. He cannot go back. Now, I really, really like Paul's letters, because as I sort of suggested here, there's a lot in them that are common themes with what's going on today. And they're written to new Christians to uh, help with problems they encounter today. So I think uh, we can apply them 
directly to what is going on today. So now we're going to read 2 Thessalonians 2. Events prior to the Lord's second coming. When I read that, I said, Lord, boy, give me another message. <laughs> but you know what? I, I talked to Jason, and I thought he'd say, yeah, you know, prophecy is hard for you. Maybe you should pick another subject. You know what he said? Ah, prophecy's a blast. Go for it. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> but as I studied, learned, it's all right. We'll get there. Now, brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we'll be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have a spiritual vision or revelation or a letter supposedly from us. I'm going to stop there. We'll look at, unpack that a little bit. So he wants to unravel some teachings that they've been given. And if we look at 2 Thessalonians 3.17, Paul says, uh, this is written in my hand just a chapter ahead so that you can identify it and know it came from me. So that's to prove its authenticity of this letter. Evidently, there was another letter circulating. It feels like when you read this, and they, these teachers were saying it was from Paul. And they were spitting out this false teaching. The teaching was that the second coming is now. It's already begun. And Paul's like, nope, i got to straighten that out. That's not the case. A little sidebar on rapture I want to get into. If you go home and look up rapture and say, oh, I'm going to study the rapture, and you try to get into the word in your translation, you won't find it. It's not in there. It comes from the Latin Vulgate translation. That's a 4th century slow down, John. 4th <laughs> century translation of the Bible in Latin. And uh, basically the root of the word is rapio, or rapturo. Say that with a tongue inclination. Anyway. Um, and what that means is uh, let's see here. Sorry. There we go. It's a state or experience of being physically carried away. Kind of like I am now. Anyway, not really. But you, you literally experience this carrying away. So that's what, that's what that means. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, we read, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with a voice of of the archangel in the trumpet call of God. First the believers will rise from the graves, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Whoa! Hallelujah. That's good stuff there. Man. The Lord's going to come down from heaven with a shout. Trumpet's going to blow. Also notice we go up in the air. Jesus doesn't come all the way back down. We rise in the air to meet him. We get to fly. 
I get to fly. I am so looking forward to that day. How many of you, be honest now, have dreams where you can fly? I do. I do. Why is that? I wonder about that sometimes. So for me, it's Superman. I think about Superman flying around, right? So cool. Uh, modern day, the uh, Marvel. The guy's got to bolt those wings on. What's his name? He's one of the Marvel action movies. Falcon. Yeah, he's the, what is that, the XD-40 or something. Anyway, he bolts that on flyer. So are we going to fly like him? Or is it going to be more like uh, Philip, you know, in Exodus? He goes, he's witnesses to the eunuch, and then he's, boom, somewhere else like Captain Kirk. You know, Scotty, you're in the transporter, right? Boom, beam me, beam me up. Is that what it's going to be like? Star Wars. So you, you can't tell I'm excited about this, right? I mean, you can't tell I haven't thought about this some. It's like, <laughs> whoa, we get to fly. We, it is going to be so, so, so amazingly cool. But Paul is like, hey, it's not that time now. They're teaching you wrong. That's not what it is. We got to be careful with new teaching. So how? This is hard, John. As I say, how do we? Uh, how do we know what's false teaching? What's true teaching? Well, you know, when I was in banking, you can, and it's okay for you to, if you got one of these in your wallet, take this out. I got money here, right? It's really cool. And I, the words I'm going to say next are even cooler. What happens with this? I study it in banking. If I study this real deal, then I can recognize counterfeit currency better. Okay? And listen to these words. When I hold this bill up to the light, what happens? I see... Jeff, that are 20, so I see Jefferson's face over here on the watermark. If I flip it around this way, these little tiny words say 20, 20, 20, 20, 20. They're only exposed when I hold it up to the light, as Satan is exposed when you hold him up to the light. He doesn't measure up, does he? He's a liar. Okay. What else? We got, oh yeah, 20, 20, 20. It kind of cruises around there. Over here, I've got like a, there's like a leaf, a seal. It's, it's a watermark, too. So I study this, the real thing, the real thing, and then I can recognize a counterfeit bill. In the same way, I'm supposed to study the Word. I study Jesus. I read my Bible. I'm familiar with what's in there. And then... Then I can better identify false teaching. So if we take up again in 2 Thessalonians, again, remember these teachers are spitting out false doctrines. He further instructs 2, starting with verse 3. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God 
and a man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything else that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what's holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. I jumped ahead verse there, but that's okay. So he instructs them, instructs them that a great rebellion against God has to occur first, before the second coming. A man of evil forces will be revealed. He will be a leader of supreme opposition to God. And we can read more about this guy in 1 John 2.18, Revelation 13. Let me look at 1 John 2.18 real quick. 1 John 2.18 says, Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard the Antichrist is coming. Already many Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know the last hour has come. So this guy's got to come first. And you're going to get a, just a very basic uh, teaching on rapture this morning because that's the extent of my knowledge of it. But there's a lot of things we can draw out of here. That has to happen first before the second coming occurs. So this guy is actually going to put himself on the throne, call himself God. And as I said, there's a lot in there. If you look at those companion chapters all through Revelation 13, it talks about this guy. He's, and I think we're supposed to be knowledge about him. Not surprised when he comes. It's going to happen. He says it. It's in the word. He's going to set himself up like God. He's going to say, I am God. That's what this guy's going to do. He's not Satan. He's a man. And Paul reminds him, hey, I taught you about this when I was with you guys. Remember this. So he spent some time with all of them, teaching them about this very thing. So we shouldn't run away from prophecy. But Jesus didn't run away from it. He taught it. It's in there. 30% of the word is prophecy. How are we going to know this guy's false? If we look at Matthew 7, 15 to 20, it shows us how. Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 15 to 20. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. That's how we can identify false prophets. We try to make it complicated. It's not. His words, his actions, the results of his actions. 
Good actions, good person. Our team. Bad actions, bad results. The other team, Satan's team. So we can do it. We can identify false teachers for sure. Verses back to Second Thessalonians here. Six through eight. You know what is holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. This lawlessness is already at work secretly. It will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. And then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. But the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the splendor of his coming. Wow. So even though he's the supreme leader of all of the opposition to God, he's being held back. He can't be revealed yet. It's not his time. What's holding him back? Why can't he be revealed? So my Bible study, study Bible, had these suggestions. I'll read them off to you. Uh, the Roman state is holding Satan back. Paul's missionary work is holding Satan back. Not Satan, this guy. The Jewish nation is holding him back. The principle of law and government embodying the state is holding him back. The Holy Spirit is holding him back. The restoring ministry of the Holy Spirit through the church is holding the Antichrist back. Which ones are they? Some of them to me are pretty laughable. Those were in my study Bible. <laughs> I was like, really? The Roman state? These are the people that were running around throwing Christians to the lions, burning them at the stake. That's going to hold evil back? I don't think so. Not very logical, is it? I think the ones, the only ones that make any sense to me, the Holy Spirit is holding things back. The restoring ministry of the Holy Spirit through the church is holding all this lawlessness back. And I would also argue that Paul was such a spiritual giant. He was full of the Holy Spirit. So yeah, his missionary work also held this rebellion this Antichrist back. I can conclude the Holy Spirit is a restrainer through the church, through you guys, through what you're doing, the good we're doing in the world. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says, we are the salt. We are the light in the world. Let us not put our light under a bushel and hide it yeah, I think that's right. But all this gets, all this stuff with this guy, this supreme bad guy gets rendered moot. When Jesus comes back, it says he will overthrow and destroy this man. And it's, to me, it's just, it's incredible. It's so God. Um, the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and the splendor of his coming. So it's like he he breathes on him, right? He breathed life into you and me, right? He breathes on this guy. 
He's toast. He's defeated. Just like that. God handles him. And the other part that's cool too, the splendor of Jesus' second coming is such that the enemy can't even stand. It's so amazing. It's so miraculous. It's so beautiful. I'm just blown away. I mean, darkness has to flee when the light comes, right? So verses uh, 9 through 12. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power, signs, miracles. He will use every kind of deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe those lies and then they will be condemned for joying evil rather than believing the truth. I have one friend, she's really sweet, but she's always worrying about how she could, the enemy could trick her or deceive her in some way. And uh, I don't think we need to worry about that because I want to make a point here. The deceiver gets to fool those who've refused to love and accept the truth that can save them. That's the only way they get deceived. They didn't accept the truth. They refused to love. As a matter of fact, you've probably been around a there are a few people that seem to rejoice and embrace evil in our world. And so, this is difficult, but it says they're going to be deceived, they're going to believe lies, and then they're going to be condemned. But remember, they absolutely refuse to believe the truth that could set them free. So when we believe the truth, we study the genuine thing, we're not going to be deceived. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, brother. So Paul thanks them for their faith in 13 and 14 and salvation that they received because it wasn't an easy place where they were. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters. You are loved by the Lord. We are always thankful God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. A salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. He called you to salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, when we believe in the truth, we have salvation. Do not let the enemy whisper to you or tell you anything else. Those are lies. They're just lies. When you believe in the truth and you have salvation, you won't be deceived. You can't be deceived. So, at the beginning of this, I talked about being on guard. The definition of on guard is to protect or defend something, to be prepared for any contingency, to be vigilant. And vigilant is keeping careful watch for dangers or difficulties. Talk about the polar bear. Think about the fencer. You know, he's up there. He's going to engage his opponent. He grabs onto that sword, and he's on guard. 
right? So he's got the posture, he's got the sword. That's to be our mentality whenever we're going along in this world. That passage we started out with in Mark is really good. Jesus tells us we're going to encounter false teachers. We're going to encounter false doctrine. But not you. You stand firm. You be on guard. And as I got to this point in this message, I was like, Lord, this is just kind of overwhelming. There's a lot to it. There's a lot of details. I don't know if I'm capable of doing all this or figuring all this out. And he went, John, what does Philippians 4.13 say? Well, it says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's what it says. So do we believe it? Do we walk in it? Is that something that we embrace? It better be. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And if I back up a few verses, I can find God's plan for me for being on guard in Philippians. Now we're in Philippians 4, 6 to 9. And I had this verse committed to memory, and i got to get that done again because this is just amazing stuff. This is God's plan for keeping us on guard. Philippians 4, starting with 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. This is the plan for being on guard. Pray. I tell God what I need, not what I want. I'm not going to get the 2022 Silverado three-quarter ton diesel with 480 foot-pounds of torque to pull my camper. You can't tell I haven't thought about that. Uh, I'm not going to get that. I don't need that. I have a truck that works. He's going to give us what I need. One. Two. I thank him for his promises and everything he's done for me. He's done it all for me. He sent his son down from heaven to die on the cross to set me free. What more do I need? I don't need anything else. That's all I need. We thank him for his promises and all he's done. Now, I hang out in his peace. Okay, when I, when I say peace, our English language kind of lets us down a little bit there. What do we think of when we think of peace? We go, peace, man. When I grew up, that's how it was, right? Or downtown, I see them, they got their prayer flags and their I don't think that's where it is. The Hebrew translation of peace is shalom. Shalom. Shalom speaks to a wholeness, a completeness of mind, body, and spirit. That's the peace he's talking about here. Like I say with Jason, I come up and I go, shalom, brother. Shalom. I'm wishing 
wholeness on his life, completeness on his life. Everything is in perfect harmony in his life. Everything is just balanced. Okay, that's John's feeble attempt to explain God's peace. You know what it says in the Word? His peace is bigger than you can ever understand. That's what it says. It passes. So I can't explain it. It's way better than what I just said. It's amazing. Shalom. So my prayer for all of you this morning is shalom on you. Wholeness, completeness. So, that's God's plan for staying on guard. We're going to encounter false prophets, teachers. It's coming in our world. Expect it. We shouldn't be surprised when it happens. We can identify them by the fruit of their teachings, right? What's the outcome of their words? What's the outcome of their actions? We can identify them. When we study the word, the more I get to know Jesus, the more I get to know the sound of his voice. We were talking about that this morning. Then I can recognize counterfeit voices, counterfeit spirits. Counterfeit spirits are going to tell me, you can't do this. You're incapable of teaching prophecy. Well, I can just prove that wrong. Clumsily, I did it. Um, that's the voice of the enemy. But when I study Jesus, the genuine teacher, I know him. I have a relationship with him. And that's how I keep my guard up. The enemy is already defeated, right? Hallelujah. God took care of this for us. Jesus came down, rose from the grave. Fight is over. He's won. We just got to walk it out and live in it. Now we're going to have a little fun this morning because this was kind of a little bit of a weighty, a weighty thing <laughs> we went through. But remember, he wins, so it's a winning story. We're going to go through, a, if you flip to the end there, a little deception, true-false test. Okay? Um, and, you know, this is just to have some fun. God helps those who help themselves. That's in the Bible, right? Good job, guys. False. The book of Andy comes right after the book of Amos, right? <laughs> False. Yeah. The first time I heard that, by the way, I fell for it. I just spirit of true confession. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's bad. True confession. If I sin tomorrow, I lose my salvation and go straight to jail. Sounds like Monopoly, maybe, huh? John's been playing too many games. One more. Oh, by the way, the antidote for that verse is John 10, 28-29, Hebrews 6, 1-8. through 8. That's the antidote for that one. If the enemy's telling you that one. Because that's one of his lies. I put this one on here, too, because I think this one's cool. True or false? God promises to never leave or forsake me. I put a true one in there. 
you don't believe me, you can look it up in Deuteronomy 31.6 or Hebrews 13.5 for those scholars that insist on only New Testament. Or Romans chapter 8. Okay, we got another one. So, I finally have come to the end. Hope this wasn't too long and boring. <laughs> Let's pray for the uh, meal we're going to take this morning. We got potluck. Lord, thank you so much for today and the potluck. And bless the food of our bodies. And thanks to these amazing people for putting up with me. In Jesus' name, amen.